0: ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to take this moment to say thank you for listening to the Rail Rescue Podcast. It means a lot to me that you enjoy these stories as much as I do. Since the start of this podcast, we've had a lot of support from all over the world. It has been amazing. Now we have companies joining our team that also want to say thank you for all that you are doing out there standing the watch. These companies are offering discounts on their products as a way to support the rescue community and those tuning into The Real Rescue Podcast. Just go to realrescue.com click on Sponsors, and see these incredible offers for yourself. This episode of The Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. Access, because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, Clear communication is of the utmost importance. SR3 rescue concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. And VersaLips, to be your best, you need to squat your best. Breeze Eastern, they dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945. Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at Breeze-Eastern.com The Axness PNG wireless ICS system can bring cutting-edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere, at any time, on any aircraft. Plus, with the strongest and most robust waterproof handheld in the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness. Through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise canceling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Access PG wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1,800 public safety, air ambulance, and search and rescue aircraft worldwide. I have personally used the Access system in four different countries and on five different airframes. It is awesome. If you want more information, Contact them today at AXNES.com. That's A-X-N-E-S.com. You just make sure you tell them, Quinny sent me. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help your helicopter training. They train daytime, nighttime, aerial firefighting, hoist, long line, fast rope, rappel, and more. They can assist your program with standardization and safety checks or just an FAA annual refresher with the Certified Flight Instructor Pilots and Experienced Crew. They are ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. Plus right now, SR3 is offering 10% off anything in their web store with the promo code ALL CAPITAL LETTERS REAL RESCUE R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q Plus they are offering another 10% from their partners Petzl and their equipment, all you got to do is send an email to info at sr 3 RescueConcepts.com. Mention this podcast, The Real Rescue Podcast, and they'll take care of the rest. And VersaLifts. When you're at the gym working on your squats, building your leg strength for the next rescue mission, depth matters. If you're like me, getting below parallel on your squats is tough. Well, allow me to introduce VersaLifts, heel inserts. These gems have become one of my new favorite accessories in my gym bag. Simply place them into your regular training shoe, either on top or underneath the insole, and bam—you've got a heel lift benefit of a weightlifting shoe, but the comfort and flexibility of your regular trainers. So the next time your workout just has heavy squats, grab your V2 strength insert. Or how about a run, pull up, push up, air squat, and another run? Grab your V2 endurance insert. Or my own personal workout of running clusters and ring muscle up. Grab your original V2 inserts and go crush it. Check them out today at vlifts.com or on Instagram at VersaLift. And when you're ready to get a few pair of your own, make sure you get your 10% off with the Real Rescue discount code. Squat well, friends. In this podcast, we've listened to some amazing stories from members of the U.S. Coast Guard. From pilots to hoist operators, to rescue swimmers. Well, coming up next, we've got stories from a health service technician. What's interesting and unique about this is that in her normal job in the clinic, she would leave there to go to the helicopter or the C-130 or both to do some crazy cool medevacs. And we get to hear them here. So please welcome our next guest, United States Coast Guard health service technician, Mrs. Christine Cole. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue Podcast. Uh, Today, I've got a like prior U.S. Coast Guard Health Service Technician, HS, and uh, she and I connected. Next thing you know, we're talking stories. Next thing you know, I'm like, I need you on the podcast. And she's like, okay. (laughs) So here she is, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Christine Cole, or Mrs. Christine Cole is what I should say, because you're married to a rescue swimmer. What? How are you? Thanks for coming on and, uh, and being ready to share some stories with us. This is exciting. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah, so you're uh, you're actually up in Montana right now, aren't you?
1: Yes, I am. And what uh, are you doing in Montana? Recently... <laughs> well, I just had a baby six weeks ago. Um, and we moved uh, here a little bit earlier. Did you name
0: it Jason? Just out of curiosity. It's a great name. I'm just throwing it out there.
1: <laughs> no, no. we did What about I'm Quinn?
0: Sorry. Quinn? Quinny? Anything like that? No? <laughs>
1: no.
0: <laughs> All right, just checking. Just checking. <laughs> So Montana, you guys just moved to Montana.
1: We did. Yep. Nick separated from the Coast Guard in June. And now uh, we've been here since then.
0: Nice. Congratulations to Nick. A new life. Sweet. Yeah. Now, all right. So <laughs> let's, but I we I'm gonna talk about him like later. Like, like way okay. later. All right. Because <laughs> I'm gonna ask you to be my my liaison. Hey, hey, tell him to come on the podcast. <laughs> Uh, uh, thanks i appreciate that all right but you <laughs> let's start with you so first of all how did you get into the coast guard and what brought you to being a health service technician
1: well i um was a nationally registered paramedic and i was i'm from jacksonville florida and was working um in the er trauma center there in jacksonville and then Uh, I wanted a little bit more adventure in my life trauma center is pretty you know you have all the supplies that you need all the time all the resources you need all the time fluorescent lighting all the nice you know everything you need and so figured I'd make it a little more interesting and so um, I was interested in joining the Coast Guard Uh, there's a recruiter there in Jacksonville so I went there and I didn't know anything about the process of Um, A schools or any of that before um, I went. And I went there and asked if, uh, because I had the training before, if that kind of translated to anything inside the Coast Guard. And I said, okay, well, you know, we have uh, health services technicians that do kind of the medical side of things and then also rescue swimmers, they're EMTs. So those are really your two options if you want to do something. And I said, okay, well, uh, does it count for anything that I've kind of gone through this training already? And they're like, no, it's not really how it works. You know, the the waitlist <laughs> for HS school right now is four years long. And
0: oh my and so gosh, I, yeah,
1: it, it was four years at the time. And I so I took that in. I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> and um, but I felt really strongly like I was supposed to be in the Coast Guard, and so I just kind of um thought about it for a little while, and then I guess sucked it up and was like, you know what, if I've got to you know, be a non-rate or whatever for four years and wait for the list. It's what I feel like I'm supposed to do. And so I think that was probably on a Wednesday or Thursday or something. And then later that week, my recruiter called and said, Hey, can you come into the office? Um, At the end of the week, we need to talk to you about something. And I was like, okay. So yeah, you feel I like you get called office. to the principal.
0: You're like, I'm called to the principal's <laughs> office. Oh god what I? I'm not even in the Coast Guard yet. And I'm like, oh geez. <laughs> Can you come into exactly. the office, ma'am?
1: <laughs> so I came in and I was like, okay. So I go in there and um the chief at the recruiting office was an HSC. Um and he sat me down in his office. And of course I'm like totally new, just didn't even know what was going on at all. And he said, um, we want you to be a guinea pig it's like okay well, what does that mean he said well they're um starting kind of a pilot program um they're bringing four different people into the coast guard um and they're going to essentially have them strike hs and i didn't even know what strike meant at the time but they're you know they're, you're going to train on the job and so they were pulling a navy corpsman um to see kind of what it was like first you know corpsman from another service to come over um an LPN, an RN, and then a paramedic. And so um they said we want you to come in, you would go to boot camp, kind of uh like a direct enlistment petty officer training program that we have. And then you'll just uh be stationed at the clinic there in Cape May and you'll just learn how to be a corpsman. You you won't go to A school
0: just
1: wow you know, just straight in. so I was like uh okay I mean that sounds good like you're, you're telling I don't know what that's gonna really mean but they're telling me you don't have to go to school and exactly what you said you want to do you're gonna come in and do that and I was like, so of course I don't know anything about it and I, that sounds great so um when I signed my um enlistment you know all my paperwork and everything it said that I was going to be stationed in Cape May for four years um, So. I went to boot camp in July of 2013. Um, graduated from boot camp on a Friday, uh, drove back to Florida, backed up my car, drove to New Jersey, and then um started work at the clinic in Cape May on Monday, drawing my CC's blood. So oh. <laughs> she <laughs> was looking at me, she's like, is this gonna be payback? You're just gonna miss a few times. <laughs> <laughs> But I did have to go through and do like some qualifications and things like that. And, um, and so, I mean, there were challenges and I, I don't with any pilot program, you know, there's hiccups and things like that. So, um, it wasn't always the smoothest ride, but, uh, once I finished uh, my training there, I begged to go to Alaska. (laughs) That's really what happened. I, um, I told him, you know, like I, this is kind of the training that I have. And I feel like I would be a better asset somewhere else. Um, They have a flight program up there, or I know that Corman have the ability to fly up there at least. Um, And that took some convincing. I, they put me in the physicals department. And uh, so I worked on my own flight physical while I was working in physicals.
0: Oh, that's (laughs) awesome.
1: Well done. And then Convito, I was like, yeah, I mean, it I'm was in record time
0: too, faster than anyone else's medical flight physical done ever. <laughs> yeah. I wonder why that happened. So, well done, ma'am.
1: <laughs> so I was trying to do everything I could. So I, I did my flight physicals. Like, okay, I have my flight physical. So like, you know, that I'll be able to go up there and I'll be able to fly. Like I've already passed my, you know, ACC physical. So we're good. And, and then I even went up to Atlantic city and was like, maybe I can work on the flight syllabus at the air station up there. So I drove up there and was trying to work on some of it. And then long story short, eventually um, they gave me orders to Kodiak um, because there's a big clinic up there and a big clinic in Cape May. And they were like, you know, they're not really going to miss you. No offense, <laughs> they're not really going to yeah. miss you. May and They have spots available in Kodiak. And so um, I transferred the next summer um, up to Kodiak. Heck yeah.
0: Wow. <laughs> so I got a couple yeah. questions about like, just how did it translate from paramedic? Cause I mean, I, I know paramedic, a lot of us that, that do like the first responder stuff, paramedic stuff. Um, how did that relate? How, did, was that an easy transition overall? I know you said there was bumps in the roads, but you know, HS is or the health services technician rate, uh, which by the way, the four year wait that she's talking about is, from the time you enlist and get in until your, your slot to go to school, your training in the Coast Guard is a four-year wait. That's a long time. Um, but like, I, how was that transition? Was it relatively easy or were there like major differences between the trainings?
1: Um, As far as the training part of it goes, I feel like um, once I got... I guess the books that you get, the qualifications that you RPQs for when you're in a school, once I got those, um, I think I don't really want to go too in depth into it. I think it, it was a little rough making that connection between who was going to train me and, and how that was going to, you know, cause in a school you have instructors and you have right. designated people that are going to teach you and everything. And I think, um, because this program had never happened before, I think, you have a bunch of people waiting on a list or people that are already working at the clinic who waited a lot, a long time to go to school. And I think there was a little bit of a mismatch of, you know, who was going to train me and uh, what my qualifications were coming in and kind of a little gotcha. bit of like, who is this girl? <laughs> like, yeah. So I ended no, up I actually it. kind of partnering with um, one of the, uh, doctors that was there and then um, a couple of the second class corpsmen that were there took me under their wing and um, and I started kind of following them around and basically learned in that way but I feel like training wise um, I understood a lot I think working in the ER before was helpful too I think if I was only on the road or then then I wouldn't have some of the other aspects of um, bedside uh, care and things like that. I think yeah. this is going to sound so bad, but the first few times that patients came in, it was like, you know, a lot of the stuff in Cape May is like the Cape May crud and colds and things like that. And I was like, <laughs> we well, go to Walgreens, you know, but like they can't go to Walgreens. <laughs> 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 you are the, you know, you, you're the one that's caring for this. So there's a lot of that and a lot of, um, musculoskeletal issues and things like that. So I had to kind of back up and, and, uh, learn some, some of those exams a little more in depth and um, and things like that. Cause as a parent, it's pretty quick, you know, you're, you're yeah. doing assessments quickly and you're like kind of piecing them together. and I mean, you do a good job, but it's not this, you don't have a patient sitting there calmly telling you, you know, their life story. And then there's a lot of, and Kate may, a lot of emotional support that goes into that, you know, the recruits oh, yeah. would come into the clinic and you can't, there's no yelling in the clinic. And, you know, so the, a lot of them are going through a lot and training and, you know, they come in and they're telling you about something and they might break down crying about something. So it was a whole, it was a a great experience. Um, They also have the ambulance that was on the base. And so I feel like that was a lot of fun to do that. And um, so, I mean, once I got into it and had, you know, people that took me under their wing and were teaching me things, it was very quick. Um, I think my qualification period to get everything signed off was maybe a month and a half. Oh wow! Two months and well done yeah so um i definitely can thank um the experience from prior prior jobs i think with that i mean I, I learned a lot before i came in i think that really helped me and then i learned a lot from you know i gained even more skills when i joined the coast guard so that was a really it was a really fun experience for me
0: oh i like that i like that a lot all right so now let, let's bring you up to kodiak yeah so you get to Kodiak, yeah. <laughs> Alaska, drop into mm-hmm. the clinic there. I know the clinic pretty well. And uh mm-hmm. they have the flight program. But so how did that happen? Because I know you gotta get in, you gotta do your pre-check-in, they gotta qualify you up there again, be like, yes, we you know what you're doing, da da. da, da and then yeah. how
1: So I reported there in July. I would say I officially started work the second week of July of 2014. Um and what was left of, they called it an AMS program, Aviation Mission Specialist. I don't know if they had that designation when you were um, in, but they. I think, well, I think when I was of, there,
0: it, they just call it a flight corpsman. Like, hey, call a flight corpsman or the flight flight. That surgeon.
1: is what they called us. Um, oh. The the syllabus that they made us run through was an AMS syllabus. And corpsmen weren't the only ones that went through it. It was like a way to get, um, I think MEs could go through it if they needed to fly. Um, Oh, nice. There's like anybody who wasn't an aviation rate could do this syllabus and then it would kind of train them up on the basics of how to fly um, and whatever airframe they were doing the syllabus for. So when I first got up there, there wasn't actually, I didn't know what to expect. There, there wasn't a flight program that existed. There had been plenty of programs that existed in the past there was a whole flight corpsman room there were empty lockers there were remnants of medical bags that were pieced together there were i mean there was nobody no mentor nobody to say hey i'm a flight corpsman this is how you become a flight corpsman (laughs) so, (laughs) so um i get up there and obviously showed an interest in wanting to do that and um I I'm fuzzy on the timelines at this point, but I can, I know that I went on my first flight, um, the first week of August, I think. Um, wow. so got there in July and in August, um, started going on training flights, started working on my syllabus and I was, that was what I wanted to do. I mean, I, w- I definitely 100% did my job in the clinic, but I 100% <laughs> wanted to be in aviation. So, um, I went hard on both of those things and um and and so uh I guess really that brings me to my first my first case is kind of not even before I was qualified so oh
0: I'm so excited not even qualified (laughs) hey hey where where's that where's that girl Christine she she's working on something right we need her go go get her see if she's ready
1: it's a little kind of how it went. <laughs> I love it. Oh was, gosh. They had me work in the outpatient department. So I was still um, kind of breaking in and um, getting used to how things were run around there. And um, one morning uh, we had a PA. Um, she was a PA there and she was an aviation um, physician assistant. So she had all of her flight gear and she was about my size. And uh, she and the clinic administrator walked down the hallway, and of course, I had shown um, shown an interest in flying and everything. And they said, um, "Do you think this this dry suit would fit you?" <laughs> I was like, <laughs> if "You think right. so?" All right. Well, there's a case going on right now, so do you do you want to go on it? <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, of course I do." So. Um, so I was got dressed, I put her dry suit on. Oh, you see, you're to like to try to stick
0: a needle in somebody. Hold on. Let me get this IV. Nope. Uh, I'm going to pass this to you. Go, go. You got it. <laughs> yeah. Take both of so that. Grabbed- Vitamin M, you're good. You go, 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 go. I, I gotta go.
1: <laughs> so I grabbed, um, there was a backpack that was in the, um, I haven't gone through any of this stuff. I mean, the, I wasn't going to touch anything or really get into all that until I was, you know, qualified and was trying to do everything the right way, even though there's nobody showing me what the right way is. And so I grabbed the backpack, um, the narcotics, <laughs> all of our cardiac monitor, everything, and just go to the air station. I don't even know my way around the air station. I haven't even been there long enough. And so, um, <laughs> Uh, so I go on this case and, um, Ed Bezorek was a swimmer. I don't know if you know him, but, um, I he not. was fresh out of, um, AST school. So I want to say it was his first, definitely his first medevac. And I, I can't say if it was his first case or not. Um, but you know, the clinic is separated from the air station. So they're all waiting in the helicopter and, you know, I show up and, and, um, You know, I don't think that a lot of them are used to flying with anybody. You know, it's usually a four person crew and that's it. Right, right. I show up with all my bags and, you know, ridiculous, you know, just all this stuff. And And just um, for the record,
0: all of us in the aircraft look at you coming to be like, oh, God, here we go.
1: I'm glad you say that. I wasn't going to say that, but oftentimes this is set it set the record for anybody who doesn't know like most of the time there aren't designated flight corpsmen usually if a corpsman comes it's requested maybe by the flight surgeon um and they might pull them from like the referrals department or like someplace where they're not doing patient care and and corpsmen are qualified EMTs but I think the swimmers kind of view it as why well, I'm an EMT like what a you know yeah like I yeah. can handle this
0: yeah most of the time, and, most of the time. right now off- i i would tell you right now in my current job if if i saw you walk out of the aircraft with all your gear i'd be like yes let's go i got help <laughs> but <laughs> back the then
1: I, yeah. <laughs> yeah back then it's kind of and and everybody's super friendly nobody you know nobody's unkind it's just a the environment and um and i think you know if you bring somebody that's not used to flying in the helicopter then they're kind of a little bit lost too it becomes kind of a safety issue because they're you know maybe they're wearing pack gear and they they've never been in a helicopter before and then you know they're right. trying to care for a patient there's all these extra new um new things going on and so um so yeah that's probably their attitude when i show up <laughs> so um, you know, I get hooked up and everything and um I end up telling Ed, you know, I said, like I'm just I'm just here to support you, you know, whatever, you know, I'm an extra set of hands basically. And um, you know, and he's excited about his first case and everything. So I don't know how far away this place was, but um we flew out to this village, um, landed on a dirt patch somewhere <laughs> and go into yeah. this really tiny clinic. Um, They have community health aides there and there's different varying levels of um, medical experience um, between all of them, but, you know, very small shack, size of a closet probably. And Ed and I walk in there and this guy's on the table and he's just busted to pieces. I mean, just bones sticking out of his forearm and dislocated shoulders, broken femur, broken pelvis, you know, lacerations all over his head. The guy the night before um, was inebriated and drove an ATV going 60 miles an hour off a 40 foot embankment without a helmet on. Oh my God. <laughs> so he had been there overnight. The clinic had run out of morphine and he basically looked up at us and was like, Get me the F out of here. <laughs> <laughs> i just you know i'm still in that mode of like i don't want to step on anybody's toes i'm not gonna like you know i'm just trying to keep my i'm just a second you know extra set of hands here because you know i want to create a good relationship with everybody that i'm flying with and so i look over at ed and ed looks at me and his face is just kind of like oh shit <laughs> <laughs> i was like, I was like I'll get the litter you know I'll get this guy medicated so that we can move him and um he's like okay still, okay <laughs> I knew I knew that I had narcotics I knew I had at least 20 milligrams of morphine with me and I knew that nice. I had um you know, I don't know what other medications I had in the back I mean I, I don't even know what I have I don't even know what I'm wearing I just <laughs> like, I knew I had the basics and so I started going through my bags and everything and I um medicated him enough at least to put him into this van and of course everybody in alaska is so nice it's just small communities and so we're trying to put him in the back of the van and everyone's trying to be helpful and so you end up almost like controlling the scene as well because you know someone's trying to slam the tailgate and it's going to hit the litter and you're like no 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 just leave it open we'll just sit here we'll hold it and so we do this whole thing and this is all you know i'm being as helpful as i've ever been in any job you know that i've had and So, you know, I have to continue medicating the guy through the flight and everything. He's a big guy and he's in a lot of pain. And, um, we land back in Kodiak. And of course I had the time of my life, you know, I think it's like super fun. And we land in the pilots and everybody, they get out. And after the patients, you know, I get in the back of the ambulance and pass off, you know, to the paramedics there. And, and then they're all standing there debriefing. They're like, you're a corpsman? I was like, (laughs) yes. (laughs) uh that's the most involved I've ever seen I mean just you could tell that they were like having trouble forming sentences like how do you fit into this (laughs) situation and you know what are your qualifications and all this kind of stuff and I was like oh I'm paramedic I just joined I just got here in Kodiak and it was like this is the beginning of of what it is so then of course you know it took a lot more time after that but you know Ed goes back to the AST shop and like you know i don't know what he said but you know this is what happened and it was probably something along the
0: lines of this bro <laughs> i just had the Corman up there christine if you don't know her oh my god take her on every medevac ever you guys will not be disappointed
1: <laughs> so um if the question is like what did you learn what would you have done better next time, that type of thing, um, everything. I mean, at that point after that flight, I I mean, it went well, remarkably well for not, I mean, not even wearing my own clothes and, and not even knowing what gear I had. And so I went back to the clinic and I was like, all right, like, I've got to get this bag under control. I've got to get my own gear and I've got to get qualified. And um, I need to go back over there and learn Everything I can about this helicopter, and so that was the beginning of my journey of like learning, just totally thrown into it and figure it out. Good for <laughs> <It> you! Was... <laughs> wow,
0: that's hilarious! I love it. Well, so, all right. So you actually had a couple really good like involvement rescues while you were uh, while you were up there, and. It just so happens i have uh, i have some stuff that we can talk about because all right so you said that in particular one um you got there in 2014 and your first rescue was let's see july august somewhere in august september is that what yeah. that first one all right so mm-hmm. then this one uh let's see this is an article Out of CNN. So congratulations. You went from just getting qualified to then November of 2014, making it into CNN news. (laughs) Hilarious. I love it. So here's what the article says. It says Hunter airlifted from Alaskan Island after bear attack. (laughs) U S coast guard rescuers airlifted a Hunter from a remote Alaskan Island after he was mauled by a group of bears, the bear attacked a 65-year-old man and his hunting party who was carrying a deer that they had shot on Sally Island, the Coast Guard said in a statement. It said five bears took part of the attack Tuesday, describing their numbers as unusual. The alarm was raised by the master of the fishing vessel who had dropped the hunters off on the island and was waiting waiting nearby for them to come back. He told the Coast Guard that the injured man needed immediate medical assistance. None of the other hunters were hurt. The fact that there were five bears was an abnormality and this serves as a reminder that anything can happen and we need to be aware of all of our surroundings said lieutenant joseph schloser the operational unit watchstander for coast guard district 17. um what the heck you get called out uh just all right so first one and then this is in november it do you have any in between there is this like your second rescue
1: i would have i want to say this is my second one and i still wasn't qualified at this point because um as you remember you got to go to dunker you have to do sweat um crm uh so i hadn't been you know i had run through the syllabus and done as much as had been offered you know but i think at that point i was still waiting to go to dunker which was in washington state and so anyway wasn't officially qualified still but actually was a little more prepared than the first case that we had, but um, yeah, I was eating lunch um, in the clinic, and uh, I still because I wasn't qualified, didn't have an official pager from the air station that I was wearing at that point, and so somebody came by the desk and said, "Hey, this guy's getting mauled by a bear. Can you go?" <laughs> so just left my lunch. <laughs> I was like, "All right." So. <laughs> Like, I might like I might have had to pause on
0: that one to say I'm sorry, what dudes getting them all by a bear. You want me to go? Like let me I was a bear hyped. Run.
1: When I said that our lifestyle has changed drastically in the last six months, I really mean it. It slowed down a lot. So, yeah, I was I was like, yeah, I'll go. So um got on my step again and uh went over there. I don't recall everybody that was on the I believe the aircraft commander was uh, Mr. Filippowitz. And the swimmer was Dave Burns. And uh, I don't want to mess up the intricate details of this. I know there were five bears total. But of course, as you tell the story, there were 10 bears dead on the ground. And, you know, no, there's
0: only five. According to CNN, there's only five. (laughs) And we're gonna we're gonna trust that news. <laughs> Sarcasm insert. There were Sorry.
1: definitely five to start, um, and from my recollection, when we got on scene, three of them were dead.
0: Three, three of the bears, bears have been dead. shot.
1: Oh wow! Yes. Um. Okay. So I don't remember how many were in the group. I want to say there were six hunters in the group and five bears. Um. And when we arrived on scene, three of the bears were shot, and two of them must have taken off after after that point but they i believe this one's was on sally island um the hunters have been dropped off there i don't know if it was by plane or boat but dropped off um, for a remote hunting trip and they were dragging a deer uh, out from wherever they were hunting and i guess the bears caught wind of it and um they attacked one of the guys i think he was in his 70s and um yeah, we flew around for a while, figured out uh, where they were going to drop Dave. Um, he packaged the patient, brought him up in the helicopter, um, and this guy was—he's native Alaskan. I mean, uh, and he just was tough as nails. <laughs> I mean, he was looking at me, and we—you know—put a little headset on him. He's like, "I was looking down, and it's just." A bear head right on my leg. I was like, it's got me. <laughs> it was like, on the guy, I mean, it was just, you know, just had gotten a hold of the back of his thighs. And I mean, I, he ended up getting, and I want to say, again, with the details, I mean, hundreds of sutures. Um, they took him to the hospital in Kodiak. Um, but Yeah, we just controlled the bleeding. Dave did a lot on scene, and the flight was very, very short. I want to say it was about five to seven minutes. And then we were in the city of Kodiak, cutting him off, which was great for him. Um, But yeah, he was really, really tough, alert the whole time, and just it seemed like he thought it was cool. I mean, I know he didn't think it was cool because he was injured, (laughs) but you gotta feel tough after you get mauled by a bear and you survive. Yeah, that's right.
0: That bear didn't know what was coming. I was like, "Ugh,
1: uh. ugh!" <laughs> and like, oh you gosh. know, treatment wise, I don't think anything we did was, you know, out of the, you know, it wasn't anything crazy um, because he was doing really well. But I just think, I mean, you don't get a whole lot of bear mauling cases. I <laughs> know. Yeah. Of- no. Kodiak, so <laughs> that was just, yeah, oh that was my a neat gosh. one.
0: That's pretty cool. I like that. <laughs> Right on. Well done. Well done. Uh, out of curiosity, so when you get down on scene and and you're packing it up, you and you and the swimmer, like you guys are now working close. I mean, this is your your second case now working with the air crew. I'm i I have no doubt they loved having you there. So
1: yeah. Well, in this particular one, I think because they were dropping him between trees, they chose to drop him down, and then he actually hiked up a bit and relocated. And then they, um, did a trail line deployment of the litter down. He had the help of the other hunters that were still there kind of helping the guy get in. And then on this particular case, they, uh, hoisted the patient into the cabin. And then I was able to assess them and everything while they were waiting to pick up Dave. And I think they had to, after he sent the litter up, there is an amount of time where the flight mech's head is out the door, you know, doing something, and the patient's behind him. And if you don't have anybody in the cabin, yeah, you know, the swimmer is on is the ground more so, often than not. Um, yep. Yeah, so I think that was a benefit, you know, that I there were eyes on him, you know, when they're trying to circle back around and pick up Dave. So, um, and I ended up having a handful of cases with Dave. I really enjoyed those. So, um, yeah, it was a good very, one. Cool. I, very cool. Very cool. <laughs>
0: You've been there for like less than six months. You've got two cases that just. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I freaking love it. All right. So I, now let me fast forward a little bit. <clears throat> so this is uh, that was 2014. So we are going to jump to 2016 because you had. Uh, let's see. I want to talk two more rescues. And actually, I want to I want to talk about one more thing that's in between those. But. The first one, you get launched out uh, to on June 15th of 2016. And this in particular one earned you a uh, letter of accommodation. And for those that don't know, letter of accommodation is just kind of a, it's an attaboy. It's a, you know, you get a little ribbon and whatnot, and and it's, but it's cool to be recognized uh, from the command, right? So I'm going to read this and then, and then we're going to get, get into this because this is, this is pretty neat and a little bit out of the normal realm of what you guys do. Letter of accommodation. I note with pride and am I pleased to commend you of your performance of duty on 15 June 2016 as aviation mission specialist aboard Coast Guard C-130-1714 during a mass casualty medical evacuation from ADAC, Alaska. While on call as a corpsman for Air Station Kodiak, you received notice that six critically injured persons involved in a traumatic vehicle accident on Atka Island, Alaska, approximately 820 nautical miles southwest of Kodiak, Alaska. You immediately took initiative to coordinate the necessary additional supplies and equipment to outfit the medical pallet for the reported injuries. As a flight corpsman, you expertly briefed the crew members for the possible patient needs and what to expect during the transport. After arriving at ADAC, you competently worked with the guardian medical specialist to orchestrate the delicate onload of patients according to the nature and severity of their injuries. Once the patients were on board, you immersed yourself in your duties to relieve the overwhelmed civilian medical team caring for the patients ranging from spinal injuries, head trauma, thoracic lumbar pain, facial trauma, lacerations, and fractured clavicle. So for the three-and-a-half-hour flight to Anchorage, Alaska, you ensured the continued specialized patient care until their transfer to the awaiting ambulances. Throughout the flight, you were an essential member of the air station team providing the seamless conduit between the rest of the crew and the civilian medical personnel on board. Your actions directly contributed to the success of the heroic task bringing tremendous credit upon Air Station Kodiak and the United States Coast Guard. You are commended for your outstanding performance of duty. By your meritorious service, you have upheld the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Christine, holy smoke. All right, for the record, and I get it, that is a long flight. That is 820 nautical miles. That's that's a long flight from point A to point B. Six patients. Like, I, did, I didn't see anything like that. So you're on a C-130, big, big airplane, flying out to pick up six patients on a remote island. Holy cow.
1: Yeah, this is like an ideal situation. I feel like, you know, you're asking kind of how I ended up getting into the Coast Guard or why I got into the Coast Guard. And I was like, this is, you know, you go from having all of the um, resources that you need, and you have doctors running around, and all the equipment that you need. And then in in Kodiak, in particular, the AOR is gigantic. I think huge. It's four point five yeah. million square miles. I mean, huge. And so, yeah. some of the time, you have these patients for hours. And yeah. you know, you can't just call somebody and say, you know, this is happening. What should I do? It just doesn't work like that. So, um, one thing that I will say about this case um, is that. Because it was a C 130 case, technically, um, I could have responded on my own. Um, because I think the corpsmen, you know, they don't take swimmers um, on their C 130 cases. They have the med pallet and they just um, normally just the flight corpsman goes. Um, but uh, there was a swimmer in Kodiak and I, he might still be there, um, but his name's Andrew Stover. And he uh, became a paramedic when he was uh, down in Mobile. And, um, I, uh, worked with him a lot while I was up there. Um, you know, we, I, we ended up, I made an identical bag for him basically so that he could use his, nice. uh, and sorted out a locker and got him meds. And, um, he had access to our bigger cardiac monitor instead of the, um, one that's normally on the, on the helicopters. And so anyway, when, um, I got called out for this case because there were so many patients and you never know, you know, they say it's going to be this or that and you might have these resources and then you show up and nobody's there, you know, whatever. (laughs) Like I'm not uh, too proud to ask for all the help, you know, like extra hands. And, and it was often uh, times that I would bring other corpsmen with me too. Sometimes even if they weren't qualified, just say, Hey, like, you know, it'd be nice to have you there. And so for this case, I called Andrew and he was not on duty and i don't think he was backup either which you've had people on your podcast before that have been stationed up in Kodiak and um, when there are cases the number of assets they have to call out like you might have a ready swimmer but then yep. you have a e2 swimmer and then you know you might end up ferrying two planes and needing two extra crews to yep. so like you might be four swimmers deep into the list you know <laughs> <so> <laughs> totally. just one piece. So basically, like I called him, I was like, hey, you know, can you come on this case? And so, of course, he's got to call, you know, the shop um, supervisor and senior chief, um, you know, and see if he can even go on the case, you know, or if they're going to need him if something happens. So anyway, he ended up being able to go. And um, and that was really helpful. We went out there and um, Guardian was able to transport. Basically, during our flight out to um, ADAC, they were transporting patients from ADCA two ADAC but obviously they can't transport I think there were 10 people involved in the accident altogether one of them died oh Um, and so they were able to transport two patients at a time I think they had king ears um and so they had two planes out there already they were able to take four of them or three of them and then we were we took over and um transported the remaining six and so um we had to bring um extra gurneys um and kind of outfit the back of the c one thirty with a bunch of gurneys that are strapped in and um extra bottles of oxygen and yeah uh, got extra supplies on the med pallet and um I feel like that's another thing you know, doing all the math for and, you know if you have a patient for six hours or eight hours, how much oxygen are you gonna run through, and you know how yeah. many and a lot that goes into all of it. So we got everything we needed and went out there and um, just immediately everybody's working together really well. I mean, anytime we we had to transfer patients with LifeMed, LifeMed and Guardian are the two um, civilian um, air medical uh, transport companies up there, but um, we worked with them and I believe one of their nurses came with us. One of their flight nurses came with us. And so the three of us managed the six patients Um, Anchorage and then we show up in Anchorage and there's three ambulances that show up and all the firefighters at the airport. And so I think I have a picture somewhere of that, but it's just, you know, a lot going on and it was really fun. Um, but I was, I was thankful to have extra help. Um, and so definitely have to shout out to Andrew for (laughs) helping me on that one. Nice.
0: You know, I, I don't think we actually talk about that enough here is what you have to do, uh, in order to plan that that like critical patients, you you literally have to plan six patients for let's call it. I know it says three and a half hours of flight time, but you, you need more than that. You need four and five hours because there's ground time, this time in between transport from like one asset to the or like clinic or helicopter or other aircraft mm-hmm. to now the C one thirty, then to ground and i have been on cases where i've landed at places and all of a sudden there's no ground support now it's not normally the the case in the u.s and whatnot but yeah yeah so now all of a sudden you're like "Oh, oh oh you know um so when you say med pallet you're talking like a six foot or two meter by two meter six foot by six foot pallet loaded
1: and that's another thing. So when I showed up, like I said, there wasn't really much of any, I mean, there's the med palette there and old medications expired. You know, you could tell that somebody, I will not say that I was the first and only flight corpsman to ever be in Cody. There were clearly, you know, at times seven flight corpsmen that they have qualified at a time and it was a like robust program. And then, you know, maybe it would dwindle. And but when I got there, there's nobody to really, you know, so... I went over there to check out the med palette at one point. And so that was part of my responsibility too is to keep that, you know, stock. I made the list. Whatever I felt like was supposed to be on the med palette, that's what was on the med palette. And, you know, he touched everything on there and locked it up and went and checked it and kept it in. So um, I think that was really helpful that once I did get qualified, you know, I knew everything that was in my bag, um, learned extra things I wanted to keep in my dry suit pockets and like what I wanted on the med palette and um so I think, yeah, it's a huge med palette that they roll on there knowing that they have yeah. medivac and that we just brought extra extra well, supply. Right. So
0: on the med palette, how much how much supply do you have? It it one patient, two patients? Because there's there's a limit of what exact like amount of stuff that goes on that.
1: Definitely not enough for six patients. I would say No, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah I'd say maybe two max, so I mean there's definitely um you know bringing extra i v fluids and um making sure we had um you know IV catheters and tubing and yeah so i I made sure we had enough of everything that we were taking with us, but that was the that was the most mind blowing um i mean it could give you goosebumps how much the coast guard that's something that I will always miss i mean the coast guard has so many people involved. There could be one person that's out on right. some island, the illusion islands are building some one person that's in need of rescue. And if they could see how many people were involved communication wise, prepping oh, yeah. number of assets, number of people that they have going in. I mean, sometimes you they the only plane they had available to send down the chain needed maintenance you know they're coming up on its you know maintenance hours or whatever so then they have to send a maintenance crew on the c-130 with with all of their (laughs) you know like just everything involved by the time you get back is just um it's just incredible and so um yeah i mean you the amount of planning that goes into something like that and the number of people that are involved in something like that even if it's just one person it just goes to show you wow like yep the (laughs) <laughs> they care enough to get out there and, no matter what <laughs> to get you. So oh, that was man. something definitely um, worth being a part of. Yeah. Super cool. Very cool.
0: Yeah. So well done to you and Andrew for that one. Holy smoke. Six patients, Flying three and a half hours on a C 130 that anchors Alaska. Jeez. Well done. Well done. This is going to bring me to my next. Little like, it's a little more than an attaboy in my opinion for this one. So in uh, in aviation, uh, Coast Guard aviation anyway, um, <clears throat> the guys up in, in Alaska will honor and, and give them an award twice a year to uh, enlisted members. So the pilot wardroom, uh, they collectively get together and it's like, man, we wanna recognize one of our enlisted members. For doing a great job, and this is all picked by the pilots. It's known as a Prashard Award, and again, they only do it twice a year. Conveniently enough, you earned it, and I was like, "Wow!" And, and this is this is uh this is pretty cool because not only is this your peers as far as your your age group, but it's all the officers and all the pilots that come together and talk about everybody on the hangar deck. Uh, that's every swimmer, every flight mech. Every maintenance guy, and then it goes even deeper about everybody that's enlisted that works on aviation. And you were in this award, and and I'd like to recognize you for this because this is a this is a big deal, and it's cool, and I like it. So let me get into this one. I congratulate you on selection as the 860 Prashard Award winner for the period of one January to thirty June 2016. You have been chosen by Air Station Kodiak 860 Pilot Corps for your outstanding dedication, willingness to serve, and desire to learn. You are recognized by the wardroom as having consistently performed above what is expected of your pay grade and position. You've excelled as an aviation mission specialist corpsman, a qualification not required by your current billet. You demonstrated exceptional perseverance in pursuit of the AMS qualification by devoting significant personal time after hours to complete the demanding syllabus. As the only qualified AMS corpsman for a lengthy period of time, you timelessly stood back to back duties, only taking time off to comply with the minimum commandant requirement, that's all the manuals, crew utilization limits. Your medical expertise and assistance were often requested by the flight surgeon and aviation survival technician for 860 as well as C-130 medevac missions, and you have proven yourself as a vital contributor to the operational success of Air Station Kodiak. You have flown on numerous noteworthy cases and have a growing list of survivors who owe their lives to your ability to compassionately provide critical in-flight care. Your motivation and positive attitude are inspirational and your high level of professional knowledge and expertise sets an excellent example for all to follow and is keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. That is awesome. Christine, well done. Like a true honor to be recognized by the entire wardroom. all the pilots in each, like in Kodiak said, you earned that. That's freaking awesome.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I think that was by far the most meaningful. Um, I don't exactly know what year that award was given, but um, I told you before that um, when I transferred to Kodiak, obviously um, 100% took care of all my clinic responsibilities. But um, when it came to the aviation stuff, I mean, I was, as soon as I was finished with my duties at the clinic and standing duty over there, I was, um over at the air station, working on my syllabus. And basically what I, what I did, um, you know, there's so many pilots and, I mean, that's a huge air station, (laughs) so many pilots and so many swimmers. I think there were 22 swimmers in the shop at that point or 25 or something like that. And, um, and so basically I said, uh, they said you know well we don't know when you're going to be on duty you know we don't know when you're there sometimes in the past we've called and there is no corman. and you know i said i will be there i will be there i have a page i have a personal yeah, cell phone cell <laughs> phone i said you call me i will be here and they said well you know if you're not here we have to take off without you i said don't worry about it i i will be there so every single day i don't know um you know, that was my only air station where I I flew, but they have their own weather system in Alaska. So every day um, at 8am and 4pm, they would do a weather brief. Um, And so every day at 4pm, I went to the weather brief. So I knew the oncoming crew and they saw my face and um, knew what the weather conditions were. And I let them know this is my pager. This is my phone number until I think every pilot and every swimmer had, you know, the numbers to call and made sure in the ops in like AMS on duty, had my name, had my phone number. I mean, just plastered, just call me, I'm coming. (laughs) And, um, I think the clinic, you know, there was, there were no other, uh, you know, there were corpsmen that were trying uh, to go through their flight, um, physical process. And, um, it's remarkable how many people don't pass flight physicals. I mean, it's really difficult to pass a flight. A lot of people, so um, you know, people kept trying, and and their flight physicals didn't go through for one re- reason or another, and um so I I I I think the way that they kind of made it happen was they said you have a two hour response window, but I okay. really didn't <laughs> for myself. You know, that was the way that they could keep me on twenty four seven. You know, it, yeah, and couldn't have me stay at the clinic, you know, I can't sleep at the clinic 24 seven. So, um, so I lived five minutes down the road, you know, but even in, even in Alaska, I mean, it's it's snow packed on your car and you got to defrost your car in the middle of the night and you got to do all this (laughs) stuff. But I, there was never one that I missed. I never missed a flight and, um, yeah, there's never a time that they had to leave without me. And, and, uh, and I think towards the end, I mean, that's what made this a word I think so meaningful is that you know I don't my thought was always like I don't need anybody to know that like I I could have easily like you could have like pulled the helicopter back up you know how this like the ambulance shows up and you know sometimes the public affairs people there whatever it was like I could have like climbed out the back window and like just went back to work you know and like you could like think that everybody else did it like that's totally fine with me I just wanted to be like experience it so um you know and I wasn't Putting in all that effort to be recognized at all, I truly wanted them to call me. I truly wanted to go on everything I possibly could. And um, what ended up being really kind of endearing about it at the end, and I'm not going to name names, <laughs> but like I'd be, I get a phone call, like the pager would go off, you know, says "Ready 60 on the line." Well, blah, 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 you know, tell you what's going on. And so I already got the page, and I'm changing, and then my duty phone would ring, and a swimmer would be on the phone, and be like, "Hey, Christine, are you?" Are you coming? I'm getting dressed really slow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yes. Yes. I'm coming. And there were times that, you know, they thought I was a lot slower than I actually was. And like, they'd be taxiing, and they're all looking out the window, like at the road, like waiting for me to like get there (laughs) and like pull up. And then the flight is like, oh, she's out the door. And they, like, weigh me. Like, I'm walking next to the helicopter as they're, like, taxiing, like, trying not to take off. And I was like, so by the end, I was like, okay, like, I'm doing something here, you know? Like, it matters. That is that is fantastic. You know what the greatest part yeah. about that for me is?
0: Like, I could see it in 2014 when you show up. You're walking around like, oh, you know, we, everybody's in the helicopter like, oh, freaking Corman. And you're like... They're going to bring all this shit. We got to tie it all down. She's not going to know what she's doing. To then two years later, where is she? Wait, oh, 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 there she is. There she is. Let's go, let's go.
1: <laughs> I love that. I love it. <laughs> so that oh. one meant a lot to me. I know that word existed, you know, but then once I realized like, that's not just someone writing something up because, you know, someone put in for it or whatever, that's like a group of people saying like, um, I don't know. I feel like aviation's a family, you know, at least Fair in the Coast Guard so. for sure. Yeah. And um, you know, when you're working support and not operation, like you know, obviously the Coast Guard is one big family, but aviation's a whole nother you know, smaller family. And once I saw that, I was like, okay, like you know, these people have become my family, and I and I. I really enjoyed that part of my job. Like it wasn't, I didn't have to do it. I, but I wanted to do, it. I would want to do it more so than <laughs> even my clinic responsibility. So um, that meant a lot to me to get that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Christine, well done. My, well deserved for that. That's, that's awesome. I love it. That brings me to one more rescue that we're going to go over because this happened just after that. So, you know, the, the wardroom has recognized you for just like going above and beyond again, mad props to you for that one. Um, and you get into a rescue or a call out uh, which earns you, we get there a Coast Guard accommodation medal. And uh, before I read this, I'm actually going to go into an article that is about this because the pilot on the rescue, which, and this is uh, written up in the Maritime executive where so lieutenant johansson uh receives honors for daring rescue um the i'm going to read a little bit of this and then we'll get into your word but the story it's a story that sounds as if it was pulled right out of the movies high winds rough seas rescue helicopter low on fuel and crew determined to save a life but the danger was real for kodiak alaska-based coast guard 860 jayhawk helicopter crew on a mission to save the life of a cargo ship crewman. The crew was on board the Tianjin Pioneer, a 600 foot vessel, 692 miles north of Adak, Alaska and had sustained life-threatening injuries while working in heavy seas. The duty flight surgeon recommended a medevac to bring the man to higher level of care as soon as possible. Quote, uh, just answering my phone is the reason I was involved in that rescue, said Lieutenant Paul Johansson, the helicopter pilot. It was the day after Thanksgiving. I was at a movie theater with my family and got word from, from work saying that there was a case brewing near ADAC and asked if I could come in. I said, sure. That's what anybody does that gets the call. So fast forward, Johansson and his crew, co-pilot Lieutenant Matt Kuiper, flight mechanic, Petty officer, second class, James riser rescue swimmer passenger second class john kierski and flight medic officer third class christine parnum so that the article continues on but now we come back <clears throat> and let me get to your award so here's what uh what you earned out of this citation to accompany the award of the coast guard Commendation medal to christine o parnum health services technician third class united states coast guard pastor parnum is cited for outstanding achievement while serving as aviation mission specialist aboard Coast Guard Helicopter 6037 on 25 and 26 November 2016. Recalled to conduct a medical evacuation from the Marine vessel Tianjin Pioneer near Adak, Alaska, over 1,000 miles west of Kodiak. Petty Parnum boarded a C 130 to Cold Bay. She then launched on the Coast Guard helicopter in zero visibility, 70 knot winds, and turbulence, proceeding to Dutch Harbor for fuel before continuing to ADAC. Advised winds and turbulence forced a second fuel stop in ADAC, further lengthening the grueling flight to the stricken vessel. Continuing on scene in heavy snow, low visibility, and with no cover asset, she assisted the crew in successfully hoisting. The injured mariner and immediately administered life saving care in the dark and violently pitching aircraft cabin. Battling air sickness while she tended the patient, she then transferred the survivor to an awaiting C 130 who had embarked a second heart attack patient from ADAC. She now split her attention between cardiac patient and the survivor, continuing to provide critical medical care. For the duration of a four hour transport to Anchorage, Alaska. Her actions skills were instrumental in the rescue of two lives. Pastor Parnum's dedication, judgment, and devotion to duty are most heartily condemned in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Christine, that is sick. Oh my God. So, a uh, little side note right there. What people don't quite understand is when you take Alaska and you put it down over the lower 48 of the U S it's the, the square mile is is bigger than the lower 48. So you're, you're almost flying from the, like almost from East coast to West coast, maybe not quite that far, but you're on central time going all the way to Pacific time to pick up a patient and then turn around and flying back to central time. All right. That's the perspective. Okay. What, and, and I've been on both sides of this out there is, Sometimes you're the 860 crew that flies the helicopter from Kodiak Island to point B, wherever point B might be. Nick. (laughs) Oh, yeah? That was (laughs) Nick? That's hilarious. So once you guys, like as the ferry flight crew, that would be the guys flying from Kodiak, they get off the helicopter, they high five the crew that just took the C-130 out of Kodiak to land. And yep, then that crew gets on the helicopter, takes off, goes, does the rescue, comes back, and then gets back on the C-130 and leaves. Where they got the guy's like, us that do the ferry flight. We're like, we oh, we just delivering a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> 1,000 miles to get to the rescue. Oh my gosh.
1: All right. Well, first Go ahead, of all, girl <laughs> there's a reason why uh, Mr. Johansson got that award. I mean, you can tell from reading about the conditions. I mean, there's no way we would have been able to do anything for that guy if it wasn't for the pilots. So uh, Mr. Johansson uh, was an amazing pilot, still is. He's still in the Coast Guard. Um, And then um, co-pilot Mr. Kuiper, he was actually a swimmer before and then went on to be a 60 pilot. Um, So both just incredible pilots. And I saw recently that he retired, but um, yeah, so – yeah and then I think in on that case, and they'd have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that uh the helicopter was due for maintenance when it got back to Cold Bay, so after that case was over, at least the helicopter portion of it, so they ferried the sixty to Cold Bay. We took it on the case and then came back, and then it needed maintenance by the time it came back to Cold Bay. So when we flew on the c one thirty because they didn't want to put hours on us, I think that flight was an hour and a half. um, we flew from Kodiak. Cold Bay on the c one thirty with the maintenance crew that would oh, need wow. to take care of the helicopter once it got back, so this is just to give the scale of how many people are involved in all this, but yeah, we got on the um sixty and Cold Bay and to give kind of like a backstory, I believe this was a Friday evening um so I don't know if you ever felt this way or still feel this way because you're working in this environment, but when I had a pager, um, I never made plans. Cause the second I made a plan was like, I'm going to go do this or I'm going to go do that. The pager would go off. Um, so this yeah, whole week, yeah. <laughs> Friday evening, I think. So I think um, Monday I had a medevac Monday into Tuesday. So I was overnight Monday into Tuesday, went back to clinic work um, because we had different um, kind of standards. There was a little disconnect there. So
0: Monday into Tuesday,
1: <laughs> I went back to clinic work. Wednesday afternoon, I got another case. It wasn't overnight, but still all day long flying on another case on Wednesday. Um, by Thursday, I think I might've been run down or something, had some kind of stomach bug or whatever was sick. Um, wasn't feeling great. Um, nauseous already before we off. <laughs> um, and so then I'm, um, that one, it took a little while for us to get off the ground, um, because of the weather. Um, even though they fly out on a lot of things, they were trying to to manage all of that and so um we had some time in the ops and planning everything and um and they knew that i wasn't feeling great but i was like okay like i can do this like i'm not gonna put anybody in danger you know it's gonna be fine and um so then we went uh went on the c130 hour and a half to cold bay get on the 60 um that flight to adac um yeah zero visibility uh 80 knot wins oh my uh, gosh like flying sideways (laughs) some points. Um, But regardless, I mean, I I never worried about anything. I mean, those pilots are amazing. So there was never a time that any of us, even them, I mean, they feel confident, like not overly confident. They're not going to put us in danger, but they felt like they could do it. And um that's the amazing part of the coast guard i mean nobody nobody else is going to go out there and do that i mean everyone else is grounded <laughs> yeah totally um,
0: legally by the way by faa
1: yeah. standards are grounded <laughs> yeah. like
0: the faa will come in and say no
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> so um i think we didn't even leave kodiak until it was 9 p.m i mean it's definitely the whole thing is happening pitch black darkness um so I, I wanna say, and I'm pretty sure the article says this, we stopped in Dutch Harbor for fuel, I mean, with 80 knot headwinds. I mean, it was wow. just taking forever <laughs> to get out there. So um, Dutch Harbor and then um, refueled again in ADAC when we got there. And then I wanna say that the vessel was 200 or 250 miles offshore Adak, ADAC. Um, wow. And so by the time we landed in ADAC, we were at eight hours. So we were at our max flight time, and so the pilots had to call the CO and um, get a waiver to take off again um, to go get the guy. So we took off um, after we refueled an ADAC and then went out there to the um, to the vessel. And John Kresge was a swimmer. And um, when they say that, uh, when Mr. Johansson wrote in that article or during the interview, he said that it was... Um, joint decisions by everybody I mean that's something that I learned flying as a corpsman and like an extra passenger in the back basically is that you are an extra set of eyes and ears and and everything and so even on the you know Friday night trainers that I would go on or whatever I mean the pilots are focused on hoisting and the flight mechs out the door and the swimmers in the water and like they basically say when you take off like if we don't see something or we don't hear something or smell something or whatever, like you're, you know, I'm not treating anybody on those trainers, you know, I'm just sitting back there. So, um, so then you can, you know, you're able to say something. And, and so during that hoist um, you know, it's dark and the winds were ridiculous and uh, John's down on the boat. And from what I remember, I mean, there's water just washing over the deck and you know, it's slippery and, Um, He's trying, I believe they did a um, trail line deployment with the litter. And so he was trying to get the litter back up in the helicopter and there's, you know, the tail rotor is coming close to um, a portion of the vessel. And so I was watching the tail rotor and the flight mech is focusing on hoisting John and one of the pilots can't see the vessel on the other side where the tail rotor yeah. is and the other pilot is hoisting and listening to you know the flight met conning and stuff and it sounds dangerous you know it sounds like you know you're, but it was all very controlled and um thankfully John didn't slip off the deck in the water <laughs> like the patient got into the helicopter and then um when they got back to ADAC uh that's where the C-130 met us and then that crew is grounded, the the, the helicopter crew. Yeah. Um, but John and I aren't. So- of course not. You got a patient so- to take care of. <laughs> so um, we get on the C-130 and there's a man sitting in one of the chairs in the back on the med pallet. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this guy? <laughs> <laughs> and, and some man had had an MI while he's you know there's not that many people in ADAC and you know we just happen to be in town so <laughs> we now take on this second patient um that's having a heart attack along with our other survivor I believe the other guy had a broken femur and he actually I think the um the patient that was having an MI ended up taking more of my attention than the original patient that we had You ended up having to morphine nitro and you know like monitoring him <laughs>
0: like, oh my but, gosh
1: And that's another time that I was really thankful to have John because, you know, we were so, I mean, that was, like I said, the third medevac of the week was kind of like feeling sick. We've already been flying for however many hours, you know, by that point. And it's coming into the early morning and it was nice, you know, to have two patients and two two people providing care and um, like a second set of eyes looking at everything and um, working together on that and then. Yeah, early and early in the morning, we um, showed up in Anchorage and dropped both of the patients off. But that was that was a three day ordeal. By the time we got back to Kodiak, it was Sunday morning, so it's oh, Friday. Wow. I got the page at four, just after four p.m. on Friday, and didn't get back to um, Kodiak until eight or nine a.m. on Sunday. So <laughs> long smoke. evolution.
0: Yeah. Now, now it does say in the write up uh, that you had air sickness
1: oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> I told, you, I told you that i already wasn't feeling well before we took off and so you know I was like, okay, it's like it's gonna be fine and then obviously the weather was crazy so when we are hoisting the patient um the flight mech was you know john's already on deck the flight mech is um you know taking a the load assembling the litter i'm helping him and i end up taking one of the wool blankets that you know they're wrapped in plastic there's a couple of them and real quick
0: so the all the all the wool blankets in the back of the 860 up in kodiak we would roll them up and then slide them into uh like a um uh, I'm, 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 i'm losing my mind it's plastic bag but it's oh it's vacuum sealed. so this vacuum sealed bag to like save space and suck it in and down but it's it's probably what like I don't know, like a foot and a half by six inches or so and stuffed in there, sucked down and that sits in the, in the aircraft. Okay. So now everybody knows what we're, what we're dealing with.
1: So I knew that we were going to need that for the patient. And I also was feeling very ill at this point. So I ended up just tearing open the bag that the wool blanket was in, throwing up in the bag and then setting it aside and, no more than two seconds later, the patient's coming back in the cabin door in the litter and then just start <laughs> treating the patient. So I was glad with the timing on that one, you know, that I wasn't, it was before you oh. came in the door. Those. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man. You know, I can totally see it. The whole part of that too, you know, but you're bouncing around with major wind and just helicopter kind of like, Oh, oh, oh you know, so you, you're already not feeling good. Then you get a little air sick. Then you're just like, oh, I just need a bag. I just need one bag. Okay, <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Patient's here. Oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and then to make it even worse, you get to the C one thirty. Oh by the way, there's one more.
1: Oh jeez, oh man. <laughs> But that's what, you know, like going back to the very beginning of our conversation, like, what did I want? Why did I leave the ER? (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag worth it. Yes.
0: (laughs) Oh, Christine, well done to you and the entire crew. And uh, Mr. Johansson, well done on that. that. That's fantastic. So solid, solid. Three days. My gosh. Wow. wow! 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 You know what? That's not abnormal either. It's it, and I remember that very often is you listen to it go off and you you know the pager go off or the alarm go off and you as soon as you hear the location you're like, well, see you boys tomorrow. <laughs> oh, funny! Well, Christine, I'll tell you what. We've been on here for a little while. You have told us some amazing stories and and just everything you've done I'm I'm beyond excited and that you've come on to share these stories thank you so much appreciate it um before I let you go I actually you know what before I go that one I I do have one question while you were doing all your training and all your flying in Kodiak did you ever do your like your duck syllabus did you get in the water with the swimmers yeah heck yeah yeah nice So now i know if we were ever in in pain or hurt in the water you were going to come down to get us
1: cool yeah all right i got my duck call in atlantic city that was my whole you know like trying to get transferred to kodiak i got my flight syllabus i'm duck qualified i'm just trying to do good so yeah super fun
0: so for those that don't know a duck syllabus is like a um a survivor syllabus so you get to go out and play victim uh, for the rescue swimmer or for the flight crew I'll, I'll use i'll put everybody in the mix so what they would do is they would hoist you down in a the triton harness um which is a rescue what the rescue swimmer wears in the coast guard and then you're just kind of bobbing around in the water and then we come up as swimmers and be like hey okay now i'm going to put you in the basket or i'm going to put you in a quick drop or we'll connect harness to harness and then so you get to be the victim in the water it's it's a super cool experience to do and what's nice for us as swimmers that now we have a live person we're not dealing with just a rescue randy or whatnot so very cool um how many training flights would you go on would you go on a lot of them or
1: just from time to time uh, that was the other portion of it um like i was saying the weather briefs plastering my phone number everywhere and then i felt like that's kind of uh like people don't really look upon that real fondly if you're like you just show up for when the pager goes off you know like that's not yeah because I can get my hours that way easily if I'm standing 24 7 duty you know like if I'm going on every single medevac that leaves Kodiak like I would get my hours every month doing that but that wasn't really I mean I also love flying like I just wanted
0: oh, to <laughs> soak
1: it up so basically um I Got on whatever flights that I could. I at least went on one training flight a week. I would say. Oh, good um, for you. Yeah. So usually it was Friday evenings. A lot of people, you know, like this, whoever wants to stay back, or the flight mech wants to stay back, or somebody, um, somebody's staying back, and so that freed up, um, freed up a seat for me to, to fly with them, and so I would do that regardless of. Um, If I, like that week that I had three Metabacks, I probably wouldn't have done a train around <laughs> that week, but like, it, <laughs> like I would say most of the time, yeah, I was hopping on uh, whichever ones that I could, because I also wanted to just, I mean, you're, I don't, for every, anyone that's flown or that's in flight I they say, understand that, but you're not like watching a movie, like while, <laughs> while you're flying, you yeah, know, Everybody right. talking to one another and um, like getting to know each other and that kind of thing. And so um, I didn't want to just know them by like, Hey, I'm at the weather brief or whatever. So I wanted to, um, like really be involved. And so, yeah, I would say probably once a week.
0: That's awesome. Um, mm-hmm. would you do hoist training? Would they hoist you down to the ground or anything like that? Just kind of get you evolutions and comfort on the hoist hook. I, I don't remember them doing that while I was there. So that's why I'm asking.
1: No, I, I, I flew as a duck, um, a couple of times while I was there I I know that one of the times I volunteered I was going to go on the training flight as just a passenger but one of the swimmers needed live deployments or something I didn't it had something to do with their men's and so I was like well I'm duck qualified like I can I can help you with that like you don't need to bring another swimmer like you can just if I'm going to go on the flight anyway you can like I'll do that and so Uh, okay yes please (laughs) yeah like whatever I can help with but yeah other than that um Most of the time they would just send the swimmer down for whenever they needed to hoist. And then, um, I was in the cabin waiting for the patient or we'd land somewhere and then both get out.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So I, you know, like thinking back, um, right now where I'm at today, I would, I would love to have you as an option to be hoisted down so I can get help on deck to be, uh, loading, loading the patient. Now it is an extra two hoist depending on how you look at it, but, you know, if you're ever on the mountain or something like that, let's go back to the bear rescue. You know, it would have been nice to have you down. Now it's assessing, package the patient together. Um, Right now, today, I would do a double extraction with the litter. So you would go up with the patient, go into the aircraft. Uh, So the patient would never be left unattended. But, you know, stuff like that. I I, I know the Coast Guard's made uh, advancements in a lot of that, but I don't know where they're at currently today. Like, so but anyway so it's by
1: person too like uh the senior chief that was up there at the time and uh his name is joel sayers i don't know if you know him at all yeah so he was the senior chief up there at the time and i do know that there were times you know i didn't like i still took vacations and things like that so there's one time that i was in florida and my phone was still going off because it was like the like number you know that they were calling awesome like (laughs) i'm not here but you should call this person or whatever and um anytime that he could um i know that uh senior chief sayers these master chief sayers now but he um would try and send two swimmers you know like if, yeah. if the shop could handle it and he knew that there needed to be extra hands there's a plane crash or you know some of those bigger cases um he would he would send two swimmers on the case because he knew that that would be yeah something that would be helpful so I don't know if everybody's trying to move towards doing that, but I know that certain people.
0: Yeah. No, I, I like it. it. It opens a great conversation, but even for you as the flight medic, like I would love for you to be comfortable enough to get on the hoist and all right, let's go. I, I need you. I need you on ground. I need you on the vessel. Um, you know, and not every scenario is like that and not every scenario is needed. I've, I've done both where you just go down throw a patient into whatever and pff, let's go uh, at the same time. Having an extra set of hands on deck is is definitely. Throw that out there for everybody. Put that yeah. in your <laughs> yeah, in your uh in your possible arsenal.
1: <laughs> yes, sounds so. smart.
0: All right, Christine. Well, in that uh, advice that you would pass on to everybody else, you've been through a lot. You've gone from paramedic and working in an ER to joining the Coast Guard to flight like extravaganza. Corbin, (laughs) what would you pass on to everybody with what your experience is?
1: Uh, The thing that comes to mind is just never quitting. You know, like the amount of the amount of pushback that I got on a lot of things, you know, when I was in New Jersey, it was, you know, you're never going to get transferred to Kodiak. So get over it. You're never going to fly, you know, and then I get to Kodiak and it's like, well, you're here, but you're never going to fly. You know, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> okay, and then, um, you know, even outside of the Coast Guard, after that, um, I worked on. I got a, a civilian job after the Coast Guard, and it was kind of, you know, it's competitive to do that too. And, um, I went and sat for my flight paramedic certification and made myself, you know, it's like just. And even now, you know, I'm at home now and like, staying home as a mom, as a mom right now. But you know, like I'm went back to school and I'm gonna take the MCAT and I'm gonna move forward good go to med- it was like, just never stopping. Like, and I think along with that, um, you know, there's like conventional paths to doing things like, um, you know, I guess a conventional path for the coast guard could be like, I went to high school and then I went to a recruiting office and then I joined the coast guard and then I, you know, and, yeah. and then I did years and it's just very, you know, I just a natural progression. And I wouldn't say any part of my life has looked like that and that's okay. And, um, like no matter how long it takes, yeah, that's the only thing that comes to mind is just like never quitting, like just keep going and and then eventually you'll look around and I mean, there were times when I was in Kodiak where I just stood there and you know like the snow's blowing, and you're just like, like, how'd I get here <laughs> like this is awesome, you know and, and I think that's just from yeah, just never quitting, never giving up, and that can be applied to anything, I think any job and anything you're doing
0: beautiful awesome christine i cannot thank you enough for coming on today and sharing all of the stories the advice and and everything this has been an absolute pleasure so thank you so much
1: it's been really fun thank you for having me
0: absolutely and uh the next time i get to montana and you know i'm calling you because you know we got to get together and then you're going to be the liaison to your husband to get him on here so I can do a, a back-to-back or we can have a, a wife and husband storytelling time. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> Love it. Uh, in that case, I'll see you soon. And again, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Let's go. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling chocks and taking off, but before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to... Jason at the That's Jason at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q.com. You can also check us out on our web pages, therealrescue.com, our Facebook page, and our Instagram page at the Again, a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember when that star alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.